Thank you for sharing that. Second Corinthians chapter 9. If I can take this off. I want to read verses 6 through 11. Just share a little bit with you and had a little bit more. Karina and Philip both kind of really set the stage for the message and with their exhortations, which is wonderful. And I appreciate God for that. So I think what I'm going to share with you now is just going to be a matter of adding to. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one may, must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you have in all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Can you say amen? I wanted to just say something about, about this, just the whole heart of generosity, and that's that's where we're going. Oftentimes, whenever you talk about that, people make the implication, and, and maybe rightly so in so many ways because you don't get around it, that, you know, for the next three weeks, all I'll be talking about is money. And I am going to be talking about money, but I'm going to be talking about generosity in every aspect. But I, I think I want to give you this disclaimer. Never, in, never do we talk about uh, money and finances, stewardship in that manner to get something from you. It's actually not our job to get anything from you. If it's not done because the Holy Spirit does, does it, it won't make any sense to us anyway. Are y'all following me on that? But what, what absolutely what my intent is to get everything for you. Everything that God has for you, I want you to receive and embrace. And you're going to find through this, well, through today and even through the other ones, that that is rooted in our hearts of generosity toward the Lord. Just a real quick little illustration uh, on that, a couple of things actually. One, Friday night uh, at a church in Phoenix, it's, it's actually part of a mother denomination that I came out of years ago before I started CTC, or at the time I started CTC. And they wanted to do a Thanksgiving service, which I understand they do that annually. And they, made the, they called to say that they were going to be honoring my grandmother, who's 93 years old. And they wanted to honor her because she's been part of this, this group, this organization, part of her church for uh, over 67 years. And they do annual meetings or biannual meetings twice a year. She had been to those for 51 straight years. She's 93 and not able uh, to, to, to be able to do that as much now because of age and, and health. But, but the, the thing that was... Um, just amazing to me is to be able to stand there with a lady who practically raised me, invested in my life, and I just think about the heritage that God has given me through faithfulness of my grandparents, uh, passed on down to my mom, which I'm doing my best to pass on down to my children. 
it, it says something to honor someone who's been faithful to the church and to the kingdom of God for that many years. It just blessed me um, beyond measure. And I, I say that to say that I had already intended, knew what I was going to give. I knew they give an offering. And, uh, and I knew what I was going uh, to give. And so I had, I had, and I don't mind telling you this just because I'm telling the story. I had two $50 bills in my pocket outside of my wallet. And when it was time for the offering, the, the pastor there, and this is some of the stuff, you know, that's, that happens sometimes. The pastor there said that he was going, he wanted to raise the offering. And he said, now, those of you that have certain levels of ministry, I want you to give certain amounts and wanted everybody to give 20 and, and uh, then so many give 50. And then, then he said, all of you that are pastors, give 100. Now, remember, I had two 50s in my pocket. That was my intent to give 100. But my problem was when the man told me he wanted me to give 100, it jacked me up. Matter of fact, I turned to Virginia, I said, give me a 20. And she reached around and then I reached down in my pocket and I just heard the spirit of God say, I told you what to give. And you're giving out of generosity. You're not giving because anybody told you what to give. And so, and, and honestly, the very fact of what they done. And so I gave it out of that heart and did it with joy. Years ago, I mean years ago when I was young, younger in the faith, younger in the ministry, younger in the pastorate. I always knew the principle of tithing. I knew the benefit of tithing. I know why we tithe. I actually know what happens in my life and in my finances, in my heart toward God if I don't tithe. So that I always understood. But the Lord taught me a lesson years ago. And honestly, I was the guy that would tithe if my, if my check was $1,002.73. I would be the guy that would tithe $100.27, you know, just to get it right on the 10%. Because, hey, that's what God said, 10%. But, but then I realized even when I was doing it that way then, it was more out of the law of the letter and not out of the heart. And so there was a, a, a particular incident that was happening in our church. And there was a family that had a need. And honestly, I had done my tithes and had not paid my bills yet, but, but the Lord really spoke to me about giving to this particular family for their need. And I can't, I can, I could just be honest with you. I'm, there, there was a little wrestling, I'm sure in my mind, I haven't paid my bills yet. I have done my tithes. I do that first, but I hadn't paid my bills and this family has a need, but I knew I was hearing God. And and so that particular afternoon, I believe it was a Sunday afternoon, I just gave them the money that I had, which was somewhere, it might have been a little bit more than what they needed, but it was, it was all the money I had except for maybe I might have had $2 left in my checking account. I don't know, something like that. 
And I gave it to him. And I gave it to him because I believe that's what God told me to do and it was out of his heart. We'd done something in the evening that night. It was some kind of evening gathering. And it was in the wintertime. I had a jacket on. And it's just like normal fellowship, whatever we'd done, and we were leaving. And I, I constantly felt people, you know, reaching in my pocket, in my jacket. People would hug me and put things in my hand. When I got home that evening and took everything out of my pockets that people was, had given me, it was almost to the penny everything I had just given away that morning. And from then on, I've learned what it meant to be generous, just to have a heart of generosity. This is, this is one thing that I know about God, and I want you to know this about God, that he has every intention for you to have an abundant life. It's one of overflowing. It's one of goodness. We can define that a little bit. Sometimes people hear that and may think about it the wrong way and think that means if God is a God that wants us to have an overflowing goodness, that means everything good is supposed to happen in our life. If, nothing, if something bad happens, then God can't be a good God. By no means is that what the scripture is implying. We know this just from living life and from reading the word. Things happen in our life just because we're in a broken, fallen world where there's sin and there's disease and, and, and there's people and there's evil. The intent of God is always for us to live in the land of Goshen, if I could say it that way, to where God is always abundantly providing for us, not just financially, but even in wisdom and even in peace and even in comfort and direction. And I can go on and on. The name of the Lord is a mighty tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. That's the heart of the Lord for us. But we got an enemy. We got an enemy that is intentional on sabotaging what God wants for your life. He's intentional on doing that. John 10, 10 says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's, that's what God wants to do. And here is the promise for us. And I want you to hear this. And I want you to hear the words of this very carefully. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts, hear this, of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I wanted you to hear all the words of that, but I want to hone in on something. Because it's definitely telling to us, those that are in relationship with the Lord, you don't have to worry about the things that God has promised that he would provide for you. But those that are not in relationship, you got every reason to be concerned. Because the promise of God providing all that you need and all that you eat and all that you wear, that promise is not to people outside of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does God reign on the just as well as the unjust? Absolutely. And in God's goodness and in God's grace, he can do whatever he wants for anybody at any time. But we don't live on happenstance. We live on promise. We live on knowing God. We live day by day knowing that we can live with the uh, expectation that the God who's made us a promise cannot lie, 
will not lie, does not lie, has never lied, and always keeps his word. Can you say amen? So we live with expectation. Matter of fact, that's the big idea of this. We can live with expectation when we move from fear to trust in God for provision. Philip nailed it when he talked about the issue for us is trusting God. We can live with expectation when we move from fear to trust in God for provision. You see some of the banners on our wall, part of some of the compound names of God. And you got Jehovah Shalom, which is the Lord is my peace. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Mkadesh, the Lord is our sanctifier. Jehovah Tiskanu, the Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. Every time we see these names in the scripture, when God is declaring something about his name, he wants us to know that his name reflects his character. It reflects his nature. So if the Lord says, uh, the, the Lord, uh, it's Rada, Jehovah Rada, the Lord is my warrior. So he's saying, I'm the one that fights the battle for you. If he says Jehovah Rohi, he is my shepherd. It proclaims a part of his nature and his character. The one that we want to do a little bit more looking into today is Jehovah Jireh. And it means the Lord is my provider. You'll find this story in Genesis chapter 22. And it's the story of Abraham. And he has already heard promises from God that through him, Many nations would be blessed. Many people would be blessed. He's already heard that promise. Through him, through his loins, people would come to know the same God that Abraham knows. And by that faith become righteous. Just a gracious act of God of calling them out based on their faith in Abraham. Abraham thought that that was going to happen so many different ways. He had another son that he shouldn't have had. That wasn't the one. He said that the one is an Isaac, and Isaac comes along through miraculous stuff with him being 99 and, and Sarah being 90 and all of that stuff, how that would work, uh, which for us is impossible. Matter of fact, Genesis 18 says what's impossible for man is possible for God. There is nothing that God can't do, nothing too hard for him. Isaac comes along. He loves Isaac, the Scripture says. But then one day the Lord tells Abraham to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son Isaac. Now you got to know the end goal here. You got to know the end goal. The end goal by no means that God is a God that has this kind of mindset that he wants to just put you through dares and double dares. You know, I just dare you to believe me, or he's a, 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 a God that, that wants to set you up to encounter some things that you know wouldn't be right and wouldn't be proper. But God had a purpose in this. He tells Abraham to take Isaac. Abraham gets Isaac, prepares all of the stuff, three days journey. They get ready to get up to the top of the hill. And Isaac says, uh, Father, we we have the fire, we got the wood, got all the stuff that we need here, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says to his son, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. He straps Isaac up. Now, mind you, Isaac, by this time, I'm going to say he's at least 17. He could have been older. 
He takes a 17-year-old boy who is somewhat already introduced into manhood because in, in that culture, 13 years old, and he straps him up to get ready to sacrifice him because that's what God told him to do. And as he's preparing to sacrifice his son with the knife drawn, the Lord stops him. And in verse number 13, it says, that that tells him to look into the bush. Verse 13 says, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Now, that's a great message in and of itself. I can talk so much about that, how that tied into Jesus Christ is on the same mountain, son being sacrificed, et cetera, et cetera. I can go into all of that. But here is the revelation that God wants us to get because the promise is about the sacrifice. The word that the Lord gives is about the, I'm sorry, the provision. The sacrifice was certainly part of it. But here is what, what, the, what Abraham learned, that if you're willing to trust God with the things that you treasure most, God will let you keep that and give you a whole lot more. If you're willing to give God the things that you treasure most and not live with the mindset of scarcity. Abraham had the belief that just by obeying God, that if he had to go through with that, that God would raise Isaac up because God keeps his promises. But the Lord is teaching Abraham and teaching us, you trust me even with the stuff that you love and cherish the most and not try to hold on to it because you feel like you're going to lose it if you give it up. And the Lord teaches Abraham, I'll let you have that and a whole lot more. Am I talking to the right church? Because this is what I know, this is what I've learned, this is what I've had to work through in my own life, that the root of an ungenerous heart, it's not necessarily greed or it's not necessarily stinginess, it's fearfulness. It's a fear that I'm not going to have enough. It's a fear that God will not keep his word. It's a fear that I can't totally trust God. It's not necessarily about greed. It's not necessarily about stinginess. If I have an ungenerous heart, it's bound in fear. And our whole purpose, one of our purposes here, the touchdown, part of that is that you know God Know who he is, the names of God, that you can trust him for righteousness. You can trust him for sanctification. You can trust him to be your warrior. You can trust him to be your banner. You can trust him to be your strength. You can trust him to be your shepherd. You can trust him to be your healer. And you can trust him to be your provider, to know God, but also find freedom. Not just free from addictions and, 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 and things that shackle us and bound, bind us up, but even free from fear. Find freedom to know that I can trust God and God keeps his promises and I don't have to worry about a lack or live in scarcity. And so when you observe the the principles of biblical generosity, you'll see an initial key throughout it all the time. And that's the fundamental unwavering belief that God provides for us. He's demonstrated it, but even more so through those of us, as we read in Matthew 6, who have an absolute trust in God, have a relationship in him. Let me give you some principles of generosity. And Jarius read this verse, principles of generosity, Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25. Let me read it out of New Living. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. 
the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's a great passage, a lot of wealth in it. The message says it like this, or at least, at least that 25th verse. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Now, anytime sometimes you hear verses like that, possible just a little bit of disclaimer, then the thing that people want to say is, so, Pastor, are you preaching a prosperity gospel? Let me address that in a couple of ways. First of all, I know that the gospel is good news. So that means everything about the gospel is prosperous to me. Are you following me? Everything about the gospel is good news, so it's prosperous to me. And I'll also tell you this. I have never bought into and never been attracted to or never will be attracted to a poverty gospel. Thank you. I'm glad I flew her in from Vacaville so I'd have somebody that can clap. I'm not attracted to a poverty gospel. Now, let me tell you this. There is no such thing as a prosperity gospel because even people who teach everybody ought to be rich, everybody ought to have this, everybody ought to, if you trust God, you'll have this, you'll be rich, you'll never be broke. That's not even a gospel. Matter of fact, that's a lie. It's not even a truth. So there is no such thing to me as a prosperity gospel. This is what I know. If I trust the Lord Jesus Christ and believe the good news, every aspect of my life will be prosperous because God said I will give you abundant life and that more abundantly. Am, am y'all doing all right? So let me, let me just show, I think Drew's got something on the screen here for you. I want to show you. This is just the principle that the, the Lord taught the nation of Israel. And hopefully you can see that. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee and the River Jordan and then down into the Dead Sea. There's a big distinction between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, even though the sources of water is the same. The Sea of Galilee is full of life. You'll find plant life, you'll find fish life, you'll find animal life in the Sea of Galilee. Because water that flows into it, whether it comes from the Jordan or comes down from Mount Hermon, waters that flow into it flow back out in a tributary. So the water's always moving. It takes in, it puts out. It takes in, it puts out. The same source, the River Jordan, that flows down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has no life. There's nothing living in the Dead Sea. There's no plants that live at the Dead Sea. There's no animal life that lives at the Dead Sea. There's no fish in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is full of salt. It's full of water, but it's salt. You can go to the Dead Sea and take a book and walk out on the Dead Sea and lay on the Dead Sea and read your book. You know why there's no life there? Because when the water goes into the Dead Sea, it stays right there. It doesn't flow. It just stops up right there. And here's the principle that the Lord is teaching us, even through this, through generosity. Anything, and I love this, and I'll do more of this with it, anything that the Lord trusts to go through you, he'll get to you. If he trusts it to go through you, he'll get it to you. And so that's the same principle we see here with the Sea of Galilee. Everything that goes through it flows back out. But when it gets to the Dead Sea, it just locks up right there. No life. 
Y'all doing all right? There's a place that we do our prayer times there and certain meetings at a place. uh, It's a a trailer in Vacaville. We call it Club Ted. Ted's. Nobody lives there. But a guy named Ted uh, Fial, he owns that. And most of everybody who's been with me to Vacaville has been there because we meet there on Wednesday mornings for prayer. And Ted was a guy who has been in the, is at the father's house there in Vacaville. He said from the time of 12 years old, 13 years old, you know, he just got into things that, that affected his life in a negative way, in a major way. And that kind of continued on for a while until he ended up in jail. And after he got out of jail, he uh, somehow or another went, went right back into some of the same lifestyle. And I'm not sure where he was living, but he, he ended up being taken to Vacaville. He said, I was on the back of a pickup truck and I was drunk and folks just took me there and then left me there in Vacaville. Made his way through a few little uh, shelters and places to stay, etc. One day he went to the Father's House Church and heard a gospel message and gave his life to the Lord and got saved. He said after being saved for a little while, he embraced the principle of tithing, was learning, was growing, was, was being discipled. He embraced the principle of tithing. And he said he always done that, done that first, didn't, have a, didn't care about where the money went. He was doing it because that's what the Lord told him to do, and he just gave the money. Eventually got married. And he said he was in the store one day with his wife. They had actually, sorry, the backup. During that time after he got saved and was at the church, he ended up uh, buying a truck. He worked for a guy that done environmental hauling. And so he ended up buying his own truck and doing his own. He said at the time in his wife got married, he had the one truck, but they were doing all right. He said always lived kind of modest, but they were doing fine. They put the Lord first and tithe. He says one day he was in a grocery store. It was a family either in front of him or behind him. And he saw what they had in the basket, and it, he thought about something that his father did when he was growing up. He said whenever his father would see people in the store with just the basic men in them, he wasn't sure what their situation was, but he wanted to do something about it in case it was all they could get is what they were getting. He said his father would take the shopping cart, told the folks, I'll be right back. He would take their shopping cart and would go to the meat department, the dairy department, and fill up their shopping cart. And then go to the counter and pay for everything in the basket. Said he was with his wife one day and saw that, reminded him of what his father had done and told his wife, you know what, we're going to practice that. He said, I've been practicing that. I want to say, he said, 18 years. And he says, since I've started doing that, and there's other ways that he gives generous. Actually, this Club Ted's is something that he bought, bought the property and gave it to the church. But he says, since I've been generous like that, tithing was always first. But just beyond tithing, he says, now we have over 35 trucks in our company. We have multiple millions of dollars that come in. And this is what he said. He said, it doesn't matter how much we give away. The money comes back in faster than we can give it out because of a heart of generosity. And I've learned something over the years, church, and I want you to get this. There is a difference between greed and generosity. Greed says that whatever the Lord gives me is mine for my consumption. We see that with the man with the parable who done well. And then he looked out one day and says, man, I got so much stuff. What can I do? I know what I'll do. I'll just build more barns and I'll eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord said, thy fool. Generosity, that's what greed says. Greed says that everything the Lord gives me for my consumption. Generosity says that everything the Lord gives me is for his purposes that it belongs to him. 
and that he can be trusted. And that's why we live with expectation. We live with an expectation because we move from fear to trusting God for provision and beyond. Now, we're, we're in a farming community, so I think you get this. You get this passage we read in end of 2 Corinthians 9, and let me just read it again out of the New Living. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And I kind of want to close out with this because I want you to take on the, the mindset of a farmer. We got farmers among us. And listen, I don't know any farmer that wakes up and decides, you know, I want a crop, but I just can't afford to plant these seeds. I don't know any farmer that steps out on his field and says, man, I sure hope a crop grows, but I don't want to give up my seed. I don't know any farmer that has that kind of mindset. I don't know any farmer that thinks that would work. And that's what the Lord is saying to us. As a matter of fact, the farmer decides, you know, I want an abundant crop. So I will generously plant the seed. If he plants little, then he can only expect little. If he plants much, he can expect much. And the principle is real clear in our own life. It's real clear. The one thing that the farmer has to do, he knows that the whole idea of him being a farmer is to have a crop. We know that the whole idea for us in living this Christian life is to glorify God. It's for his purposes. So we do that with the mindset, I cannot afford to live with the mindset in fear that I can't trust the one who I'm to glorify. Does that make any sense to anybody? I cannot live in fear that the one that I'm to glorify, I can't trust. So we need to squash that spirit of fear and have a spirit of expectation. Expectation. It's not a matter. And I, and I know, maybe I should hit this, and I may lose you on this one. I may lose you. But just know that I'm a good pastor, and I do love you. If you never come back, it's not because I meant to hurt you. But I got to be honest with you. I think it's almost ridiculous for us to think what I don't think I should give to get. No, your motive is not to give to get. But if you don't believe what God says, the mindset is this. Matter of fact, let me just put in the farmer's principle. I don't think a farmer going to go out there and says, you know, I'm going to plant all these seeds, but I don't believe I'm going to have a crop. Come on, y'all. Of course, if you trust God, sure, your end goal is not to get, but I'm sorry. There's something about me trusting and believing God. There's always a sense of expectation that God is going to do over and beyond because of who he is. It's not because of me. It's because of God's character and nature. And so we live with expectation, not just in the area of money. As a matter of fact, 
the whole seed of our salvation. Team, you can come. The whole seed of our salvation is in God's generosity. Listen to this. The first thing that we receive of God, because God gave. God gave with an expectation of receiving. I want you to think about this. Do you think God's mindset was, I'm going to give my son because I love them, but nobody's going to respond to that? Come on now. God gave with the expectation that people would believe in his son and trust his love. He gave with expectation. And it wasn't a false expectation. That's why you're sitting here right today worshiping the almighty God. It's because God loved you enough to give. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God's generosity is promised in all things needed in life. Listen to me. Not just financial, in all things. Listen to this verse in Romans 8. It's a powerful verse. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Hear this. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? That's, that's a, not only is it a hallelujah moment, it's a shouting moment. If I was in that church on Friday night, they'd have been throwing handkerchiefs at me by now. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? But listen, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? That's where it's at. If his love gives, then what won't he give to us? And with that, we should live with the expectation. Since God is generous, we should live with an expectation. Ephesians 3.20 and the message says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you can ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Now let me... Let me close with this. You can stand now. I want to close with something. We'll go into a, just a time of ministry. I don't want to hold you too much longer. You heard the exhortation Karina gave. You heard exhortation Philip gave. Let me tell you something that started prompting me on this whole idea of expectation. I'm going to share this word with you. Pastor David, this will bless you. There's a guy that I... I knew of him for years, lived in Utica, New York, and actually even when I was in Utica on vacation, I never saw him, so I hadn't met him. His name is Charlie Sweet. He's been well known as, with a strong prophetic gift and word of knowledge among our circles for many years. I just never had the opportunity to meet him. I was in Vacaville last time, and Charlie happened to be there. Uh, I actually left Utica and went to Vacaville, and I guess he left the next day and, and went there. And, and Charlie done a great job of ministering the prophetic and word of knowledge, and he'll be with us in February. I hadn't talked to Charlie since August when I asked him to come be with us in February. And the morning of the 7th, I woke up to a text, and it was from Charlie. And I honestly thought it was about the deal and the meetings in February. But I want to read to you what he texted. And I'm telling you, my spirit of expectation for our church just lifted up. It says, Pastor Tyrone, as I prayed for you this morning, here's what the Lord spoke to me. 
the Lord was speaking to me this morning that there is a large glory cloud over your church and cities. That worship will go deeper and the healing rains of the Holy Spirit are going to pour down on the musicians and all who will come to the altar to give him, Christ our King, all the glory. When it rains in the natural, you can smell the sweetness of the ground. As it rains on the hearts of your people and cities, a sweetness of his love and grace will abound and revival will break out. Pray and intercede with passion and expectation. The manifest hand of God is about to fall on you and you will see the manifestation of his spirit come alive in the people and it will flow to all the nations you have influence with. He closed out with this. He said, get ready, run through the camp and tell everyone, get ready, the rains are coming. Now I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that lifted my expectation. But it's not just expectation of financial errors. I'm expecting God to heal people. Folks that we've been praying for, for cancer and all kinds of disease. I'm expecting God to save children that we've been praying for and grandchildren that we've been praying for and fathers and mothers. I'm expecting God to bring estranged children back home. I don't care if they come home with a baby, just expect them to come back home. I'm just expecting God to do some mighty, miraculous work. The glory of the Lord is going to rise up in this house, and the glory of the Lord can rise in your house. We just got to live with the spirit of expectation. Not a stingy heart, not a heart of withholding from God, but living a generous heart. Whatever God wants from me, I want to give it to him. He can do so much more with what I give him than what I try to hold on to. If we expect God to do the miraculous and do the great things, I'm telling you, the rain is coming. The rain is coming. There's a cloud. There is a cloud. And I'm telling you, you want to be in the house of the Lord where God is going to pour this thing out. God,